This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitt from Elidis, joined as ever by Dr Sid Lowe. Hello Sydney. Good morning Phil, how are you? We're recording on a Monday morning. This is usually your most stressed, frantic and frazzled time of the week. But uh, you seem remarkably alright and composed this morning Sid. Well no La Liga games, so you have the Copa of the Ray final on a Saturday. That, that reduces the tension on the Sunday and, and removes the fundamental issue of a Monday morning as well. It does. Uh, so you, you, you don't have to write a column this morning, which um... exactly. Although, I, of course, because because we've got City City against Man United, uh, Man City against Man United. What am I talking about? City against Real Madrid. It means there's obviously plenty to do. There is plenty to do, but it's freed up this little window of opportunity for us to record this week's podcast on on a Monday morning, uh, speaking primarily about the Copa del Rey final, uh, which threw up all sorts of talking points Real Madrid beating Osasuna by two goals to one. More on that in just a second. I want to tell you what's coming up this week uh, for our patrons at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. They're going to be getting our dear patrons a Q&A pod on Tuesday, answering all of your questions and a bonus pod talking Real Madrid against Manchester City in the Champions League and Juventus against Sevilla in the Europa League. Last week, our patrons got a brand new episode of Rincón Cultural, our podcast about life, daily life in Spain, what it's like to to live here. There's also access to the fantastic community on the TSFP Discord. Lots of great chat going on there. All that for around four euros or four pounds a month, probably about five or six bucks if you're in the USA. Come and join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. So let's talk about the Copa del Rey final. You were in attendance, as was uh, Al as well. It, it, It looked... It looked pretty good, the atmosphere in Seville, despite La Cartuja being arguably up there with maybe the worst stadium in Spain. One of the worst stadiums in a country with some magnificent arenas to host a big football game. They've chosen a really spectacularly terrible one. And still, it didn't seem to impact the atmosphere and it didn't impact the sense of occasion, did it, Sid? No, no. no. I mean, as, as an occasion, it's still fabulous. The atmosphere was was really, really good. You've got you know, 25,000 of, of each sets of fans. Of course, it's more of an event maybe for for the Osasuna fans, but I don't think that takes away from, from the sense of occasion once they're there for the Real Madrid fans. Perhaps it doesn't build in quite the same way and perhaps the, the, the kind of the post-game excitement doesn't last quite as long as it would have done had Osasuna won it. But but it very definitely feels like a like a great occasion. There's a, there's a whole lot wrong with the location. A whole lot wrong with the location. Despite, did you hear Rubiales claim it was better than Wembley? Yes. Now, the best bit about it, I mean, that in itself was funny. But he actually, within the same breath, went on to list the things that they still need to fix up at La Cartuja. 
but said, but it's going to be a great stadium for, for a World Cup if we get to host it. Well, if you've just listed a load of things you need to fix, how, how is it? It is better than Wembley. Maybe it could be better than Wembley one day. One day it will be better than Wembley, but not it is. But it, but it's still it's still a great great occasion. The Osasuna fans were incredibly noisy all the way through. They stayed, um, and again, this is I think part of that 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 thing of them being at only their second ever final. They stayed well after the final whistle. It's, it wasn't a case of we've lost, everybody leaves. They stayed in there. They applauded their players around the pitch. There was, a, I think, a sense of. Uh, again, maybe, maybe actually because they realised there's no point in leaving Katulka because you'd just be stuck there anyway. Um, there was a sense of kind of occasion, a sense of, of of hanging on to it, of making the the most of it, and and it really was brilliant. And this is a great, this is a great occasion, the Copa del Rey final. Um, and I know this is stating the bleeding obvious in a way because the cup final. Well, of course, it's a great occasion. It absolutely should be, but it really is. And I, I sometimes feel like one of the things that makes it nice is the fact that it feels like an occasion that doesn't belong to Madrid and Barcelona, even. On a, on a day like this when Madrid win it because it feels like it's kind of bigger than that somehow that it, that, that it kind of belongs to everyone not even just the two teams who are there hmm. um, I, I mean one of the debates that's, that's come up a little bit this week is whether this game should be the last game of the season I think it probably should that yes. would be nice but of course this season is to be fair to everybody involved in the scheduling which is really quite chaotic and, and quite intense this year you know, they had a World Cup in the middle yes. to accommodate and that, and that doesn't make things easy Is there a new edict which says the Champions League final has to be the last game of the uh, yeah. season so yeah it's, uh, that's on the 10th of June yes. isn't it so. I remember I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong but I think in, I think in the year I think in the year that Barcelona won the treble what's that 2015 mm. I think it, that was the perfect setup because if I unless I remember this wrong I, I feel like it worked like this Three Saturdays in a row, Barca won the league, then they won the Copa del Rey, then they won the Champions League. And that's the way it should be. <laughs> you know, the league season finishes, you have your final domestic showpiece game, mm. and then you have the, the Champions League final. I remember this being an issue for the final that Liverpool and Spurs played, because the Champions League had to be the last game, and the Premier League fixtures were slightly different. If I remember rightly, Liverpool and Spurs had to wait two weeks for that match. Mm. I think I remember them not playing for two weeks yeah. and having to go into that game after two weeks without any games at all. Yes. All right, let's talk a little bit about the game itself. From a Real Madrid perspective, I think there are two people we really need to discuss from this game and from the outcome as well. Uh, Vinicius and Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, so let's start by talking about uh, Vinicius. I went back and rewatched some highlights of Vinicius and the first 35-40 minutes on that left flank against John Moncaola, he was absolutely unplayable. Just a genuinely staggering individual performance from Vinicius. We're talking about what he did with the ball because there were subsequent conversations about uh, what he was doing afterwards as well. Giving as good as he got, it has to be said. He was uh, pretty wound up by the uh, Osasuna players. But as ever, seemingly with Vinicius, we're talking about his uh, antics without the ball as well. But with the ball, Sid, as an individual performance, it was... Really quite breathtaking to see him, particularly in that first half. I think breathtaking is a great word because I mm. think I think there is something about not just the quality of performance, but that kind of performance, the speed mm. of it, the relentlessness of it is that, that it is a bit kind of like, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it really was. I mean, that, that first half an hour was one of the most amazing half an hours of football I, <laughs> I've, I've ever seen from an individual player. It was just ridiculous. It was completely, it was absurd. Every time he got the ball, boom! Every time they saw him, he was gone again. It was it was just extraordinary. Now I'm going to try and contextualise this for you as, as a way of as a way of kind of um, I suppose as a way of, of eulogising Vinicius. 
Osasuna had come up with a plan. You've just mentioned he got John Moncayola and he, he yes. took John Moncayola to pieces. John Moncayola is not a right back. So you might say, oh, well, that's why then. No, John Moncayola is, is a midfielder who is better than the right backs. And so he's playing at right back a little bit, I suppose, like Araujo does with for the Barcelona games against Real Madrid. Because it's seen as this is the way to deal with Vinicius. Right? So we have this guy on a special mission. So you've got, first of all, you've got a right back who's only there because he's on a special mission because of Vinicius. The plan then also involves the inclusion of, of Ruben Peña, who's also a right back, albeit quite, a, quite an attacking right back. Ruben Peña in front of him. So you're doubling up on the right backs. And this is all about Vinicius. And this is actually the, the doubt I think we had pre-game. Because one of the things that's happened in recent weeks with the inclusion of Rodrigo in the Real Madrid team is that teams have started to think, actually, you know what, we can't put all of our attention on Vinicius because there is now a winger on the other side. You know, whereas before it was Fede Valverde, who you know is a brilliant player, but he's not a winger. So you, you knew that the team was going to lean very heavily left, the Real Madrid team. And so you, you concentrate on, on blocking that space and, ha- and double-teaming, double to use a basketball term, double-teaming Vinicius. So Vinicius is put in this position where go, and I could kind of, you could kind of imagine him going, oh, two is it then? Two is it? All right, well, I'll beat both of them then. And he just, and the, the, he creates the first goal after, was 100 seconds, 120 seconds. And he goes past both of them. And actually, funny enough, this, you know, to talk about this double, left, uh, double right back thing, I think he goes past Moncola first, and then he goes past Peña, who's the one who's kind of dropped in to back him up, goes all the way to the byline and pulls back the perfect pass on the outside of his right foot. Um, at which Rodrigo finishes relatively easily. And that's after 120 seconds. But then it just kept happening. There's a moment when he lets the ball run for his legs and totally bamboozles Moncayolo and goes beyond him. And the thing is, it's not even the last time he does it. He goes and does it again in the second half. Yep. Every time he got the ball, he was flying past him. He, he did it with a grace, a skill... But above all in athleticism, I've talked about this before, and I, I don't want to reduce Vinicius to athleticism because, of course, it's not that. But one of the things that I find really, really interesting about Vinicius isn't the sim- simplicity of he's fast, although he is fast, right? Uh, there are lots of fast players out there. It's the repetition. It's the yes. capacity to repeat this run again and again and again and again and to still be running in the 90th minute as if it was the first minute and to, mm-hmm. to have that athletic capacity to, to keep on doing it. And in the first half, he just took them to bits. And the, the first goal, I just want to pick up on this because one of the things that I think was interesting, if you watch the footage when, when, when we sort of were doing the analysis a few weeks ago, of why is it that Araujo plays so well against Vinicius um, until that 4-0, obviously, and then Vinicius had his day. But Araujo playing so well against Vinicius. And there's a couple of things, and obviously we all focused on, on, on the fact that Araujo is very strong, very quick, and very aggressive, and very, very tight to Vinicius, but not so tight as to allow him to roll him. So he positioned himself really well. The other thing that I think wasn't talked about enough, and, and, I, and I remember discussing this, um, is that if you watch the way he played, one of the things he did was, was always offer Vinicius outside. Hmm. Off of Vinicius outside, because if he comes inside, he's going to shoot. And of course, we scored the, saw the goal against, um, against Liverpool in the Champions League, cutting inside and bending it to the far corner. Or if he comes inside, he's going to play off Benzema, and because Benzema does that role so well. And if he goes outside, and, and, and obviously it's still a risk, because he can still go beyond you. But if he goes outside, and this is one of the things that Araujo did so well, is because he's quick, and because the pitch has a byline... He's mm-hmm. going to end up running out of pitch if you can stop him getting the ball across. If he goes outside but you can match him for his stride, he's eventually going to run out of pitch, not least because, of course, he's right-footed. So he wants naturally to come inside. What was so interesting about the two goals he made this time was it was the outside move in the scenario in which he quite often ends up running out of pitch 
But he got to the very last inch of the pitch. In fact, in the second one, I wondered if he might have gone off the pitch and yeah. managed to get the ball back across. With the outside of his foot in both cases, it's true, but managed to get the ball back across. And it made me think something. And it made me think that if the analysis around Araujo, and, and it was my analysis, I'm not, not claiming to be right, it's just the, the thing that, I, that had really struck me about it. And, and I felt like no one talks about it. And I didn't know if I sort of spotted something or if I was just wrong because no one was talking about it. If mm. the analysis is, there is a place you have to take him. And that's, if you like, the safest place you can take him. Now, nowhere is entirely safe, but that's the safest place you can take him. And then you get a final like this, when he absolutely does them up in that supposedly self safe place. You're screwed. There's nowhere safe anymore. That must, must be what they were thinking. <laughs> There's nowhere safe. I'm sure there was an element of that. Yeah, show him outside, show him outside, show him outside. Yeah. And then he creates those two assists. But it's not just those two assists. It yeah. was everything. It, for, for half an hour, it was... Just well, for half an hour or forty minutes, yeah. or however long it was, but you know, you know, more or less that first half an hour. It was just extraordinary to watch. I mean, you have watched an extraordinary number of football matches, and for you to describe that half an hour of Vinicius as one of the best individual performances you've ever seen, just I think puts it into context for yeah. I, honestly, it really was. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it's different to other players, and, and as I say, that's why I liked your word breathtaking mm. because it was this yeah. whoosh yeah, yeah, yeah. about it. And you're like, whoa. So shall we talk about the other element to his performance then? He just... He, Do you know what? Yes, I... Go on, go on, go on. What, what were you saying before we came on there? I was going to say I would like to. And the reason I would like to is because I would like to slightly reframe the debate. Right? Now, hmm. we've had the debate about Vinicius getting wound up, uh, about whether people target Vinicius, about whether Vinicius winds up other people, about all of this kind of stuff. And there's a little bit of me that sort of doesn't see the need to have that debate. And obviously, uh, as they yes. say in Spanish, dicho sea de paso. So in passing, let me add here, I also, on Saturday, didn't see the need for Vinicius to get involved in it because he was having the game of his life. Mm. He seemed to enjoy it. Was, there, was, there was a bit of me, yeah. I must admit, there was a bit of me that when it started, I just thought, what are you doing, man? You're absolutely on fire. Just, just don't worry about it. Anyway, but... this, is why, this is why I want to reframe the debate. Because yeah. one, of the, one of the things, or maybe not reframe the debate so much as offer an alternative reading. One of the, the, the repeated lines that you get, and this is a debate that gets repeated much more than I think is necessary for what it's worth, but anyway, um, but we're doing it now. But, you know, I think there's something to be said for it. Is that, no, but the thing is, Vinicius, he loses concentration, he loses focus on the game, and, and he's not doing himself any favours. And, and he, you know, he, 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 mentally he gets, he gets taken out of the game because he gets himself so wound up. And it occurred to me watching him on Saturday, and, and, and I, I, will, I will offer an, an, early, uh, an early apology here if this is not how it seemed on the telly, but it's certainly how it seemed in the stadium. It occurred to me on Saturday watching him seek the fights. No one else, right? Mm. To start with, at least. And this begins with him. And, and I was really sure, and it doesn't always, but on Saturday I thought it did. And watching the way that he reacted, and watching the way that he was playing, and watching the way he's often played when he's supposedly wound up, it made me think... Maybe that idea that this takes him out of the game is a complete myth. Maybe this is partly what fuels him. Maybe it's not a lack of focus. Maybe he likes this sort of confrontation. He needs thing. it. Maybe he needs it in some, even if it's sub subconscious level. Maybe yeah. this actually, because one of the things, I think it's a myth when we say, oh, he, he loses his mind and doesn't get involved in the game. If you watch him this season, now it's true his away form hasn't been quite as good as his home form in La Liga. Certainly not in terms of the numbers. Maybe, maybe it's different in terms of performances. If you watch him this year, 
I don't think there's any evidence that he gets out of games. I think he's, he's, the, the volume of production, as well as the quality of it, is really high still. So when he's getting wound up, it's not like he disappears. He still goes at them. In fact, maybe he likes the challenge of going at that guy that I've made an enemy of or has made him an enemy of me. And so I was watching it on Saturday thinking, do you know what, maybe he likes this. You know, maybe, maybe, this is, maybe this is part of that whole momentum thing for him. Now, obviously, the counter-argument to that is he's just done it for half an hour without any of that. And then for 10 minutes, he sort of loses his head and he keeps doing it. it. The other counter argument, I suppose, would be that actually for the first 20 minutes of the second half, we saw nothing from him. But I don't yeah. think that's about him being wound up. I think that's about the ball not getting to him. I think it's different. It feels very much like we're playing amateur psychologists here, Sid. Yes, we probably are. We yes. probably are. But, <laughs> but, but then, as I say, but so are those people, I think. This is, this is a thing in a way. I think so are those people who make the obvious conclusion, which is if he gets wound up, he's not focused on the game. I just don't think that's true. I, I, I just I mean, don't. I think, I think he, he, is, he is in the game maybe even more when he's like that. He, he's literally having his best season ever in terms of numbers. So. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yet, he's def- he's, he's, you know, for example, he got booked in every single game of the Copa del Rey this year. He's been booked, I think it's 10 times or is it nine times in La Liga, ten, which is ten. many, by the way. The same number, well, it's more now than if it's 10, yeah. than Karim Benzema in 15 years. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, these are extraordinary numbers. And it, let's strip away the question of who's to blame because there are all sorts of kind of intermeshed questions here which we've talked about before and I really don't want to go down that route. But if these are his worst ever uh, disciplinary numbers, they're his best ever footballing ones. Mm. So there's a bit of me that thinks that purely footballing argument... Now, obviously, the risk comes... What happens the day that he gets sent off because he gets himself wound up and he says something or because he confronts a referee when he shouldn't or because, you know, someone fouls and he pushes them or something like that. And you could see, actually, and we've discussed this before, but I thought we saw the clearest portrait of something we've discussed before at the weekend, which was that his teammates and his manager don't see the need for it either. Mm. You know, had teammates coming off the bench to go across the world's longest technical area. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a 15-hour journey across the desert to get to the other side of that technical area, to go and speak to Vinicius and say, cut the crap, you don't need this. But mm. then again, as I say, maybe he does in some subconscious way. Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Uh, let's talk about Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, does this make any kind of difference at all to his future or is it just nice to have a nice shiny trophy you can say that you've got all six titles available in the two seasons you've been here but really and truly it all rests on the game against Manchester City yeah um 
again, this is one of those where, where I'm, uh, apologies for this because I realise this is very much my way, but it's one of those where there isn't a straightforward answer and it's complex and I'll go around in circles a little bit. But let me try and do that anyway and, and try and... Does it make any difference in terms of how he's seen? Not enormously, um, because I think it hangs more on City. Although, had he lost a couple of the Ray Finals to Sasuna, it would have been seen as a failure. Whereas defeat to City won't be. Um, and, and actually, it's a bit unfair that it's seen as a failure because you look at their cup run, come back against Villarreal, they beat Atletico and Barca. You know, mm-hmm. the, it's, it's hard to have a harder cup run than that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, Osasuna played, I thought, played really, really well as well. And so they came up against a good team in the final and they, they, they beat them. So I think it changes nothing in that sense in terms of the future. Um, I also think, and this is why I say it's an answer that maybe isn't as clear cut as that, I also think it changes nothing because it never was going to. Mm. In that I think there's a slight misconception about Ancelotti's future which is, which is that it gets decided by success or failure there's a bit of me now that thinks we're in a position where it's, he's more likely to walk away with success because it makes it easier for everyone to find a good exit strategy now as I've said before deep down we're in a situation in which Ancelotti would quite like to go and manage Brazil Real Madrid wouldn't be that unhappy for him to leave if they can get an alternative and what everybody wants is either for it to be the other guy's fault or for them to be a way to manage a departure that looks good hmm. You know, that, that sort of satisfies everyone. And it now occurs... To, well, it now occurs to me. It was, this was always there. But, but this became even clearer to me um, on Saturday night. That if they win the Champions League, this is the opportunity for everyone to say, wow, you know, applaud you off as a hero. Mm. This, this is it. And because, look, I'm going to be absolutely clear here. Ancelotti wants to manage Brazil. That's what he would like to do. His ideal scenario is he wins something for Real Madrid. Everyone's delighted with him. He makes his point because his relationship with Florentino Pérez is, is good on the surface, but there's a, there's a frustration at times, I think, of, of having not always feeling, felt appreciated. There's a frustration at times of, of being aware of, and this happens at Real Madrid all the time, um, of being aware that you know, things are said about you. There are people who don't entirely trust you. There are people who are not convinced you're really a good manager. And this explains some of the things that he said in press conferences, in particular before the Chelsea game when he made the point that you've just made. Yeah, I want in to talk two about years, that. He's won everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, well, we'll come on to that in a minute then. So he's won it all. Uh, and there is that little bit of, not bitterness, but kind of like you know, feeling unappreciated. And so in an ideal world, Ancelotti would go to Brazil and he would go to Brazil as a Copa del Rey winner and a European champion. And so this is why, in a way, I think none of this is relevant. Now, it partly is in that the flip side is if you get absolutely battered by City, now I'm not saying they're going to, but, you know, we've got to talk about the potential scenarios. If you get battered by City, then I suppose from a club's point of view, you justify him going that little bit more. Uh, that press conference you mentioned was, uh, yeah, just before the, uh, the the Chelsea game. And uh, he was uh, very keen to sort of make his case of him being a, a proper coach. I mean, it seems slightly ridiculous to... to, to, to... Yeah, it does. Well, I think he feels that yeah. too. Um, but yeah. it was. I went back and I rewatched that this morning, actually. And um, the way he says it, it's sort of typical Carlo Ancelotti because it's said with a sort of smile, a sort of playful demeanour, but there is quite a serious, hard oh, undertone. Absolutely. And when he says... Um, when he starts saying, you know, uh, everybody recognises that I manage the dream fantastically well, but there are more things than that. There is a serious coldness in his eyes and he's sort of almost sort of licking his lips and his head is sh- sort of yeah. coming to one side. And he says, este es un equipo bien trabajado. And that, I don't know how you translate it exactly. Uh, maybe there's a lot of hard work that goes into this team. Um, something like that. I think it's even more than that. And when, when I wrote this, I wrote the phrase, and I'd used it with full stops because you're right about the way he delivered it. He said, Este yeah. equipo está bien 
trabajado. Yeah. So I wrote it as, this team is well worked. Because it's not just that they work hard, mm. it's that what he's saying is there's... there's There's organization and there's intelligence. So and there's we work them well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we work this team well. This team is worked. And this team is worked. And, and what you see is the, is the result of work. Not just the hard work, but that there is a construction. Mm. This team is constructed. This team is mm. built. And, and that was... And it was so... Point, and it, obviously, it was pointed as well. And for those of you who don't remember the, the press conference, you watched it this morning, but our listeners. Um, this press conference had finished... And the, Juan Camilo, the press officer, was saying, okay, thank you very much. And Ancelotti went, stop. And it was as if he was sitting there thinking, do I yeah. say this? Do I yeah, actually yeah, do yeah. this? He thought, yeah. you know what? Actually, I'm saying yeah. this. And he says, I just want to say one thing. And exactly as you say, he said, I'm recognised as a man manager. And he knows that man manager is a backhanded compliment. That in a way, it's a criticism. Oh, yeah, he manages the players really well. He's really good at man manager. Gestor is the phrase they use yeah. in Spanish. He's a man manager. yeah. But he's also a coach. And I think that was the point he was trying to make. Now, we know, of course, there's a degree of man management. But first of all, it's, it's treated as if man management was simple. Secondly, it's treated as if it doesn't mean much. When I think at Real Madrid, it means so much because the quality of your players is very high. But the third thing was exactly that. He's saying there is a tactical, uh, constructive job being done here as well. And that point was aimed at members of the press. But I have not the slightest doubt that it was aimed at people within the club as well. And it was aimed at just, if you like, a kind of a generalised idea. Oh, what's Carlo's secret? Well, you know, he's a bit lucky, but he's a nice guy and the players like him. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, slightly ridiculous that uh, we have to um, we have to even have this conversation, but I feel like we do. And I feel like there are a lot of people who actually buy into that idea and do not place him in, in terms of the uh, of elite coaches uh, in the world. But if you actually look at this Real Madrid side and think about stuff that Ancelotti has done with this Real Madrid team, uh, there, there are tactical things and nuances and uh, ideas that he has put. I mean, what he did with Fede Valverde, you know, he put Fede Valverde in a front three and said, you do, that right wing is yours. That was something different. That was something he hadn't seen before. Camavinga playing as a left back. Okay, it sort of happened at, at France, but under Carlo Ancelotti, he has taken that position and sort of evolved and almost is now the first choice left back. Uh, the fact that Karim Benzema and Vinicius have had basically their two ever best seasons with Carlo Ancelotti at the helm, I don't think that that's... Well, that's coincidence. So there is stuff that's going on here with, with Ancelotti and because of his demeanour and because he's friendly and because he doesn't necessarily go into long, detailed explanations after matches, although he does make references to things that we did. We did a tactical shift here. We changed his position a little bit. We altered this position because this was happening, but he doesn't go into long-winded explanations. People think that there isn't this work going on and Real Madrid needs someone uh, who's a bit more interventionist. Uh, well, sort of... Um, Yeah, overtly interventionist. Someone who you can see to be to, to be coaching, yeah. and uh, Carlo isn't necessarily like that. To use to use to use a phrase that that we overuse, and I include myself in this. They need someone yeah. with a philosophy, with an idea. You know, someone who, who and, and actually, you know what? History repeats itself, and all of that. This is what happened yeah. to Del Bosque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is what happened to Del Bosque at Real Madrid. OK, so Real Madrid winning the Copa del Rey. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to Osasuna as well. And not meant in any kind of patronising way at all. It was a really fantastic cup run from them. They produced a 
really quite meritable performance in this final. They conceded after yeah. 120 seconds, as you said. They could have fallen to pieces against one of the best teams in the world in only their second ever final, and they didn't. And, you know, huge credit to them. Yes, Radicius was running riot, and probably there's not going to be any kid in Spain watching that game that wants to be a right-back now because of what he did to Mangaola <laughs> and Ruben Peña. It's over, finished. You know. But... Yeah. Um, you know, Osasuna, they, they, they kept in this game and they equalised and it was a brilliant goal. It must have been an incredible moment as well. And they were right in it until the end. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I, I, I actually think if you watch that first half again, I actually think Osasuna's performance isn't bad at all. I think it's just that it's one man. I, I, don't think, I don't think Real Madrid played particularly well in the first half. I just think what happens is there's one guy. Osasuna are facing a guy who's playing a different game to everyone else. This is Vinicius against Osasuna. And if you look, and I'm not going to try and claim that there were like huge, huge numbers of chances, but if you look in the first half alone, even within the first 20 minutes, you've got, I think it's three crosses from the right and three yeah, headers. Yeah, now, yeah. all right, none of them are really close, but they, they create chances. You get the one where Abde's clean through and he really should score. Danny Carvajal clears it more or less off the line. Mm. Um, you, the, the, if you look at the collective performances of the two teams, I think Osasuna are basically more or less as good as Real Madrid, except for what Vinicius does. Mm. And obviously he creates the one for Benzema that, that Sergio Herrera makes an absolutely brilliant save from. Uh, there's a Fede Valverde shot that goes over, over which again is created yeah. by, by Vinicius. Um, you know, but it really was. It was Osasuna and Real Madrid and then Vinicius as a separate element. And mm. I thought Osasuna's first half performance was good. And it's curious actually because I thought that despite the, and even post-game listening to, to Arasate talk and to some of the others, they were talking about how well they felt they played in the second half. And I actually thought that hit the fact that I thought they played well in the first, despite having Vinicius take them apart. Mm. I think everything else was all right. It's just this one, this one extraordinary flash of lightning on, on one side of the pitch. Um, and then the second half performance, when they scored, literally, honestly, it's within a minute of them scoring, I was sitting next to Filippo Ricci from Gazetta in the, in the stands and he, he said to me, I'll so soon a score here. <laughs> and bang and, and, and because they had the momentum had changed Abde was starting to get into the game they were starting to get further up the pitch they kept the ball Madrid didn't it's, it's, you know to go back to what I was saying about how Vinicius disappeared for the start of the second half I don't think it was because of being wound up I think it was because Madrid couldn't get enough of the ball to even release him mm. now releasing a player like Vinicius is relatively easy the long ball over the top and he's away or the ball up the line and he's away and they're relatively simple passes to make but you still got to get the ball to be able to do them and I actually thought for 20 minutes or so maybe even fractionally longer, Osasuna had all of the ball. Well, not all of it, obviously, mm. but you know, loads of the ball, loads of territorial advantage, maybe didn't create really, really clear chances, but there was a sense that the momentum was building, that it was coming. And when Lucas Toro scored, really, really good goal, really nicely taken. That was entirely deserved. Mm. And, and I thought that Osasuna, Osasuna continued to be the better side after the goal, admittedly not for very long, because Madrid equalised relatively quickly. And I was thinking this, and I was mentioning this to producer Al, I felt very guilty when I, when I realised, as I was saying it, what I was doing. So there's a, there's a substitution in, in the 70th minute. And that substitution at the same time is that Osasuna send on Chimi Avila and Real Madrid send on Rudiger. Mm-hmm. And, and when they made that substitution, I thought, and I actually, because obviously when you're writing a match report, you're not sure what's coming next, but you're sort of looking for clues all the time. I thought this is a, a really good indication of the way the game is, which is that Osasuna's send on Chimi Avila because they're thinking, right, let's go and get them. We've got them now, let's go and get them. And Madrid send on Ruda because they're thinking, bloody hell, they're coming. Mm. Right, so that, that substitution sort of defines the, the if you like, the, I don't know if you call it, you don't call it this in English, but we do it in Spanish, what, the, the dynamic of the game, yeah. the momentum of the game, yeah. I suppose, the pattern of the game. Right, that defines the, the dynamic of the game at that point. 
The reason why I say I feel guilty is I asked Ante Budimir this post game. I said, Did you, you know, it felt like that was the moment when it looked like Osasuna were right, we're going to go and get them. And then I realised, oh no, wait a minute, because it was Budimir who went yeah. off. So here I am saying <laughs> Osasuna's big de- good decision was taking you yeah. off. Whoops. Sorry, Ante, I didn't mean it like that. What I meant was it said something about the, you know, the right, let's go and get them. Um, and of course... Madrid went and scored within a minute, genuinely within a minute, within 60 seconds of that change. Those players hadn't had time to pick up their positions on the pitch. And Madrid scored. Vinicius gets away for the first time in the second half, tears everyone to bits, gets the byline. To be fair, this is not the same. It's, it's very similar to the assist for the first goal in terms of the type of run it is, in terms of the type of pullback, in terms of the fact that it gets all the way to the byline. But it's different because it comes back. And to be honest, also soon to make a terrible mess of clearing it. Mm-hmm. There's about three players have a go at getting rid of it and don't quite manage to... Um, Tony Cruz has a shot which takes a deflection it drops to Rodrigo so it's a bit fortunate in that sense it's a bit of a cock up in that sense and that's the game gone mm. and it's and it's a well, real pity because well I say it's the it game gone it's not actually no. is it no no but it feels like it's a game gone but actually Osasuna after that I didn't feel like Osasuna created very much until the very last minute yeah. and had that really good chance for Kike Baja yeah. and Danny Carvalho makes a brilliant interception which I must admit at the time I didn't realise I thought he just put the shot fractionally wide I hadn't realised just how good the interception was and so Osasuna really really made a game of it and, and I'm not going to go so far as to say they were the better team but I think they were they were the equal to Real Madrid what they weren't is the equal to Vinicius mm-hmm. yeah that's a good way of putting it I think um, so uh, they reached their second ever final they're 10th at the moment they're three points off seventh which <laughs> because they lost the final now gets into uh, the conference league so they still have something to play for though it's possible that we might see them a little bit deflated in the league uh, for, yeah. the, for the last five games or so I, want, I wonder would, is there a possibility should we play amateur psychologist again Yeah. is there a possibility that that, that actually works as the, the impulse they need for, for the league that idea of right we get back what, what we didn't deserve to lose yeah, in the final um, because, because actually you know, apologies to the other teams in it. Having seen Osasuna on Saturday, there is a bit of you that looks at that league table now and thinks, oh, I really hope they get it now. Mm-hmm. You know, I really hope they get that thing that... Well, they didn't get the thing they really wanted, which was the cup itself. Because I, I want to insist on this, because I think too often we make this mistake. The cup and any cup is not there to get into competition next year. It's there to be won. But if they got a European place, it would feel like a, a big achievement for mm. them. Well, let's see. As we said, there are five games uh, left in La Liga and they're still very much involved uh, in the battle. All right, well, that was the Copa del Rey final. Let's uh, briefly get you up to date with what happened in the Segunda División because there was big story at the bottom. Malaga are going down to the Primera Ref, the third tier, the regionalised third tier of Spanish football, barring an absolute miracle. They are eight points from safety with nine points left. They lost 2-0 at Ponferradina and it is... An absolute catastrophe for Malaga, a huge club from one of Spain's biggest cities, very well supported. They were Champions League quarterfinalists 10 years ago, and now they're going into the third tier of Spanish football. I know we've got lots of, well, quite a few Malaga supporting listeners, so animo, amigos. It is um, really quite a terrible situation for them. And hopefully they bounce back quickly. But just ask Deportivo La Coruña how difficult it is to get out of that third tier. Very, very difficult mm. indeed. So, uh, Animal to Man, or even Real Oviedo. I mean, you know, you guys were down there as well for a long time. Another big, yeah. big historic club who um, were in the wilderness. So, Malaga going down to the uh, to the third tier, which is a big deal. So, um, we are we are we are sorry for uh, for Malaga fans. Um, there is a um, 
a big game tonight at the top uh, in the Segunda. It's leaders A-Bar against fifth place Las Palmas. The other big results were Alaves 1, Granada 1 on Friday evening and Levante losing at Tenerife. At the time of recording, it's A-Bar on 67 points, Granada and Alaves on 66 points, Levante on 65 and Las Palmas on 64. So the top five separated by just three points. Remember, the first two go up immediately to La Liga. So it is a real battle with those three games left to see who's going to be in La Liga next season. Sid, Oviedo have won five games in a row. Yeah, and four of them. They've scored more than one goal in. Well, this is... I don't know what's going on. This is just very, very strange indeed. But but it's in a way, it's also the return of normality because Oviedo are now two places away from the playoffs, which is just that play, just where, where they always are. Certainly is. Uh, this week, we've got two massive games involving uh, Spanish teams. You've got Real Madrid against Manchester City. Champions League semi- semi-final first leg on Tuesday at the Bernabeu. Then on Thursday, you've got Sevilla travelling to Turin to take on Juventus in the first leg of their Europa League semi-final. We'll be watching both of those games and we'll be speaking about them on uh, the bonus podcast. So make sure uh, you join us then. Dear patrons, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. And if you're not a dear patron, you're just a dear listener, don't worry, it's okay. We'll be back here next week, next Monday, as ever, to discuss the weekend La Liga. Adios. Cheerio. (laughs) 